whatever happens Tuesday, God foreordained it. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. And, uh, and we don't have to be faithless. But in my flesh, uh, this is how my heart responds. And so I'm just, I'm being honest, I'm being transparent this morning. But church, we don't have to respond that way. God is completely in, in control. You know, and I hear people say um, over and over again that uh, our, our nation is becoming less and less Christian. That, that we no longer live in a Christian nation. Uh, I just want to let you know this morning that we've never lived in a Christian nation. You know, as as at one point the the values of this nation were closer aligned to Scripture, and we know the hearts of our founding fathers, and we hear that over and over again. Even then, this nation didn't always act Christian. And yes, the values that we see today are drifting further and further apart from God's principles and how we need to be living as, as believers in Christ. But you read, you read the New Testament and the Bible never assumes that you and I are going to be living in a Christian nation. God's kingdom is yet to come. And God in his word tells us that we are exiles. We are sojourners. We are aliens in a culture that doesn't know Christ. And that's part of the tension, that's part of the fear uh, as we've been w- watching and living this election cycle is that um, that our, Christ- our, our nation is becoming less and less Christian. But church, we are exiles this morning. And as exiles, God in his word tells us how we are to live as followers of Christ. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. And we're going to be looking at a text um, that is very descriptive of today's day and age and the context of our situation. And so if you have your Bibles or if you have your tablets or your mobile device, whatever, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And you're very familiar with uh, verse 11, and we will conclude with verse 11, but you need to understand what the context of verse 11 is. Jeremiah 29 says this, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, 
and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa uh, and the son of Shaphan, and I, I'm not even going to try to uh, pronounce those words, uh, whom Zedekiah, king of Je- Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and it said this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Okay, these are God's words to the Jews that are now living in Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie and that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. The context of that promise is that when the Jews were in captivity, they were exiles. They were foreigners in enemy territory. Things weren't going their way, obviously. But God had a plan. God had um, a way that He wanted them to live in that in that place. You know, I want to look at uh, some parallels uh, between the Jews and the uh, and the church, the uh, Christians today. Uh, I'm not going to go into to many, but. Um, they were living under an ungodly king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He was, he was an evil ruler. You could describe him as egocentric, brash. And he steamrolled over everyone who got in his way. In fact, the Bible describes in the book of Daniel that he... He erected a 90-foot statue of himself. And when he played this fight song 
on his behalf, everybody was to bow down and worship uh, this statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you didn't worship that statue, you were going to be thrown in the fire. And there were three Hebrew boys. You know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bend the knee. And they paid the price. The king threw them into the fire, but uh, the Son of God spared their life. But this is the king uh, that the Jews found themselves under. And, um, you know, we are living in a time right now where we are going to elect somebody who is egocentric, brash, and will steamroll over anyone who gets in their way. And yet, God wants us to live a certain way. Now, our times aren't as bad as the children of Israel in living in Babylon. Okay, But I want you to know, church, we are on that same trajectory. We are heading down that slippery slope at warp speed. You know, we have seen things change dramatically over the last eight or ten years in our nation. Change in ways that we never thought that we would go there. And we continue to head down that path. And we are trying to bleach bit God out of every segment of our culture. Of out of every area of influence. Or so people think that they are bleach bidding, power washing God out of our culture. No, they aren't. And so, as we look at this passage today, we don't have to approach Tuesday and watching the news like this. Because God's in control. And there's four four things that God shares with the people in this text that we need to take to heart today as we live as ex- exiles here in a foreign land. Very different and continues to change than the, the land that we have grown up in. Number one is this. How to live as exiles. We need to live confidently because of the sovereignty of our God. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. You need to underline that. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't King Nebuchadnezzar that sent them into exile. It was the sovereignty of God. God used King Nebuchadnezzar to take the people into Babylon. Look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 29. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... 
I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And just as God had, has sent them there, 70 years from now, he's going to bring them back to Jerusalem. God is in control. And so there is no reason to fear or be afraid or listen to the mass hysteria of CNN or Fox News. God is in control. There is nothing that God allows that doesn't first go through his filtered hands. And whoever gets elected on Tuesday, God has put them in that position. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Daniel says this. Again, Daniel who is living under King Nebuchadnezzar as well. It's during the same time period. says this, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God controls it all, church. And what he wants us to know, and he wants us to be prepared for, he wants he wants to equip you and I to persevere in difficult times. When it looks like things are falling apart, they are not falling apart. According to God's plan, they're just falling into place. I don't know what our, our future holds, but I know who holds tomorrow because God's word says it. And we can trust his sovereignty. We, we can live confidently. It is not always God's will for God's people to live under a morally upright leadership. It's not always God's will. King Nebuchadnezzar was the worst of the worst. But God was using King Nebuchadnezzar. We look at the Jews uh, later on in the Old Testament they uh, served under, they lived under the Persian Empire, and uh, they almost were uh, butchered uh, in the book of Esther, and yet God spared them. Judah with the Babylonians, look at the first century Christians uh, living under the Roman rule of Caesar. God uses... Uh, ungodly, immoral, godless leadership. We don't understand how or why, but God, there is a reason. So the New Testament never suggests that as Christians, we are to live in a Christian nation. This is foreign to the New Testament. 
And we must believe and know that a sovereign God is committed to his sovereign plan of redemption for mankind. It's not important to God who is the president of the United States on Wednesday or next January or February. God's plan is the redemption of mankind. That, that is what he is committed to. And as believers and followers of Christ, he invites us to uh, participate in his plan of redemption. So though we can't understand or comprehend his ways, God is working out his plan for the redemption of mankind. So number one, according to Jeremiah chapter 29, live confidently. God is at work. It may not be your will, but it is certainly God's will. The second thing we see in uh, this passage of scripture is that we need to keep pursuing God's design for human life. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 29. God says, build houses and live in them. He's talking about living in Babylon. Plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Continue to live life Continue to live by God's design way of living. Can you imagine what was going through the, the, the Jews' mind as they were being carried off into Babylon? You know, they, they had children ripped from parents' arms. For some families, they had watched husbands be butchered before uh, families' very eyes. Uh, children were were taken from families and and uh, were to to be lived to be uh, schooled and and learn the ways of the culture of the Babylonians. Can you imagine the conversations parents were having? You know, should should we get married? Should we have children? Should we raise children in this kind of environment? And there was a lot of fear about their future. And the sovereign God says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, you know, live life, enjoy life. This was God's will for their life. Build, plant, Enjoy the produce. Be fertile and multiply. Where have you heard that language before? That's creation language. That's in Genesis chapters uh, 1 and 2. And yes, there was a fall that occurred in, in Genesis chapter 3. And the rest of the Bible is a story of God redeeming people for his glory, to be with him for all eternity. God is at the rescue. God has a plan of redemption. 
And he invites us to be a part of this redemption story. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Christians living under an ungodly uh, ruler in an ungodly environment and empire. In chapters 5 and 6, Paul instructs his church to uh, to get married, for husbands and wives to submit to one another, for husbands to love their wives, and uh, for wives to live in, in submission to their husbands, uh, for children to obey their parents, for employers to work hard for their employees, God's word, the New Testament is telling us to live by his design for his glory. And that is the same language we hear, we read of in Jeremiah chapter 20, 29. You and I are to be good managers, good stewards, helping, coming alongside God and helping redeem his creation. So how do we live as exiles on Wednesday? Husbands, love your wives. Lead your families. Wives, love your husbands. Serve your family. Children, obey your mom and dad. Employees, work hard. And do it all for the glory of God. Live confidently. Be a testimony of what God can be, of God, who God is in your life as you live your life for Him. And God will bless you. Culture might not be going the direction that you want it to be going, but we still have a mission to fulfill to know him and to follow him and make him known to all people. And the way we make him known, one of the ways we make him known to all people is living according to God's standard. And as people watch you and your your family and you raise your children and, and your children uh, obey you and honor you and, and don't live a life for themselves, but live a, learn to live a life of service and you work hard for your company and your employer, that's going to speak volumes. God tells his children, Jeremiah chapter 29, continue to live according to God's design for human life. And this is God's design. And I don't want to neglect, neglect the, the singles here. Uh, singles, it's okay to be single and not married. And God wants to use you in the redemption story. Particularly here in Ridgecrest. Think about Ridgecrest for a second. You know, it's really hard to retain singles in the city of Ridgecrest. Because it's hard to meet other singles. And it can get kind of discouraging. You know what? It would be a great opportunity for you to create 
uh, an environment in the in the in in the community of Ridgecrest where singles can thrive, where singles can meet each other. And I know what you're thinking, you know, Pastor, I've been part of that before, and then they all get married. And then I find myself having to start over again. Yes, the singles ministry has to constantly rejuvenate itself. But God has a plan of redemption even for the singles of our community. Folks, what are we doing to be a part of God's redemption plan? One of the ways is how we are to live our lives as husbands and wives and children and employees. So be confident, live by God's design for human life. And number three, according to verse seven, seek the good of your land as you have opportunity. Look at verse seven. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and I will pray to the Lord on its behalf. No, and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The Jews are living behind enemy territory. You know, this is a, this is a government, this is a people who hate the Jews. And yet, God tells the Jews, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of the city, especially your enemy. Jesus has a word for us as Christians uh, in the New Testament along these same lines. Look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 43. Jesus says these words, You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Did I even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you going what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus wants us to love our enemy. Yet as Christians, we know that God's values are what's best for this, this culture. And one of the ways we communicate that Uh, And being heard is by loving uh, our enemy. God says, seek the welfare of where you live. Church voting 
is one of the ways that we can seek the welfare of our land. Voting is one of the ways we can make our Babylon a better place. Which brings me to a very ugly choice that we're having to make on Tuesday. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've struggled with, uh, you know, how, how I'm, I'm going to vote and, uh, I finally settled on, on a point that, uh, would be my, <clears throat> my foundation for, uh, voting. And it's, I'm not voting, I've chosen not to vote for a person or a personality. I've chosen to vote for policy. Policy that I, I think comes in better line with the direction I want to see our nation go. But there, there's things, there's, there's things about this election as you, as you vote that you need to think of too. And I think I've written these in your outline this morning. And maybe you'll find this helpful if you're struggling with who, um, you are to vote for. Number one, consider the future of this nation. Is there a choice that can nudge this nation in a direction the Lord can bless? I'm very concerned about where this nation is headed if, and I'm just going to say it, if, if Hillary Clinton is elected president. Because the decision concerning the Supreme Court and who will serve on the Supreme Court is not going to just impact the next few years. It could impact the next 40 years. And, uh, and so that, uh, that concerns me. But uh, consider the future of this nation. Is there a choice that can nudge this nation in a direction the Lord can bless? Number two. Consider the issues at hand. What are the major issues at hand that will affect whether God blesses or further removes his hand of blessing? And number three, consider the candidates. Would either candidate do good for the welfare of those living here? Like I've already told you, I, I, I am appalled at the choice that we're having to make. But it is a reflection of where we are as a nation. And I've told many of you, we are going to get whom we deserve. And, and it is God who is going to put that person in office, I, I don't know if you um, have uh, seen Facebook, uh, but uh, there was a uh, something that came across uh, Facebook a sticker. You know, you were familiar with the sticker "I voted." Well, some put some people put together. Well, some person put uh, together these "I voted" stickers with uh, a, a line underneath the "I voted," and uh, I thought these were kind of funny. Um, not all of them are appropriate, so I'm not going to read all of them, but it says this. 
It said, I voted, and it's about to start raining frogs. I voted, and I'm headed straight into the doomsday bunker. I voted, and now my dad and I don't talk anymore. I voted, and I am so sorry, America. I voted, and now I'm moving to Canada. (laughs) I voted, and I could use a hug. (laughs) I like that one. I voted, and I can't get up. (laughs) And this is my favorite. I voted, and I want to punch myself in the face. Oh, how true those stickers are. But, uh, but church, uh, we have a responsibility to vote. And as poor as our choice is before us, we need to seek the good. And I understand where you're at. You know, you can look at those, those thoughtful questions. And you can justify your position um, at voting for other candidates. I I understand that. But as followers of Christ, we have a responsibility to vote, an opportunity to seek the welfare of our Babylon. And we can't afford to sit on the sidelines. You need to vote your conscience. You need to vote your values. And you need to pray and seek the welfare of this foreign land of ours. That you as an exile, I as an exile, live in. And then finally, number four, verses eight and nine, we need to live by the truths of our homeland, of God's kingdom. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Jeremiah 29. But if any nation or uh, kingdom will not... No, I'm sorry. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I do not send them, declares the Lord. God wants us to live as people of truth and to be truthful. The Bible describes Jesus as full of both grace and truth. And as followers of him, we must be people of grace and truth. To all. But especially other believers in Christ. It's it's amazing uh, listening to to Christians this election cycle. You know, there are some, there are some godly leaders within the Southern Baptist Convention that I greatly respect and admire who do not see this issue, the the vote 
the, the choice before us as I do. And so we are, as a Christian community, are very divided over what to do. I, I understand that. But there are a few things, there are two things that that we can agree on, that we can um, be encouraged by. The first thing is this, that it's a mess. We all agree that the choice before us is a mess and that both candidates are far uh, far from the values that we embrace as believers in Christ. I understand that. And the second thing that we can agree on is this. As followers of Christ, our only hope is of our eternal destiny. Our, the only hope for our eternal destiny is in Christ and Christ alone. Our redemption, our salvation isn't found in any political party. Our salvation isn't found in whoever sits in the White House or in Congress and in, in, in the uh, in the Senate or the House of Representatives. Our only hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of what Christ did on the cross and the fact that he overcame sin and death, that the tomb is in- empty, that God's word is true, it's, it's, a, it's an historical fact, we can build our life on it. We can live confidently. And we don't have to be afraid. And maybe you're here this morning and you still fear. You don't know what tomorrow holds once this election occurs on Tuesday. You don't have to be afraid. God is on his throne. And he proved that fact by beating death. Coming out of that tomb. And it's alive and at the right hand of the Father. Jesus died for you. He died because he didn't want you to live apart from God for all eternity. And if you'll place your faith hope and trust in the person of Jesus Christ, I promise you he will transform your life. And he'll give you a reason to live behind enemy territory. Because God has a design. God has a plan for all mankind. And when we live according to this book, He will bless your life. God says, I know the plans that I have for you for welfare and not for evil to give you a future 
and a hope. And he's not just talking about living life behind enemy territory. It may not necessarily go the way you want it here on earth, but though man can take your life, don't fear man, Jesus says. Fear the God who could cast it into hell. God doesn't want you to go there. And he went to the infinite extreme of dying in your place so that you wouldn't have to go there. But the only way that promise, that hope, that future can be yours is if you put your faith and your trust in our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you know God, when you follow Him, you don't have to look like look at life like this. The church, the Bible says, it's going to get worse before he returns. But live confidently. Don't hang your head. Look up. Praise God, because our Redeemer draweth nigh. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the promise, the promises of your word. God, we all can say that times have changed. They are very different from the days that we grew up as children. For each generation in this room. And yet, God, through it all, you are in control. Lord, help us to seek the welfare of our neighbors of the land in which we live. Christian, the Bible says, pray. Pray for the welfare of the land. So would you just take a moment and talk to God and about the decision that is to be made? Ask God to use you. Don't sit this one out. You have a decision. You have the opportunity to participate. Ask God to give you wisdom. Thank him. Thank him for Jesus. Sending him to be our Savior. Only he can rescue us from the mess that we find ourselves in. Jesus. 
Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. There's a person here this morning who's not made that decision to follow you. God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And if they don't know what to do, God, I pray that they would dismiss this, dismiss themselves from this uh, next song that we're about to sing and go talk to one of us in the dining hall of how they can become a follower of Christ. God, use this time of invitation in all of our hearts. I, I pray that, um, God, your word would strengthen our hearts. I thank you for that song that the worship team sang a little earlier, that, uh, God, this is your world. And as messed up as it is, we don't have to be sad. Because you have a plan for its redemption and our redemption. And may we constantly look to you, knowing that, God, that you're in control. Be glorified as we worship you together now. In Jesus' name. Please stand. Both the venue and here, we're going to be singing a song. If you need to talk to one of the elders...